I became a civil engineer and it's very common to work in consulting. I was a consulting engineer, loved what I was doing, but something nagging inside maybe thought there was something more. And I knew I wanted to work overseas. I wanted to explore the world. So when 9-11 happened, that was my call to public service. And through an interesting set of circumstances, I discovered that the State Department hired construction engineers. And I decided to apply on October 11, 30 days after 9-11, went through a long hiring process and, and the rest is history. Don't regret a single day. Hey, Construction Nation. Welcome to Lead with Trust. I'm Sue Dyer, and I've been on a three-decade journey to figure out how to make sure our construction projects succeed and produce some extraordinary results. My trusted leader journey has led me to work on over 4,000 construction projects worth over $180 billion. In this podcast, I'm here to teach you everything I've learned. One thing I know is that it starts with the leaders of the businesses and organizations that come together to build a project. If that's you, let's get going. Hey, Construction Nation, this is Sue Dyer, and this is episode 67 of the Lead with Trust podcast. And today I'm excited to share with you a little bit about what goes on as we build the buildings and embassies and consulates uh, for the United States around the world. And I am so excited to have our guest today. And it is Tracy Thomas, who is the Managing Director for Construction, Facilities and Security Management for the Bureau of Overseas Building Operations for the U.S. State Department, also known as OBO. And so I think you're going to just love this episode. Tracy has a wide experience of working on many, many different facilities all around the world. Some are in high conflict situations, and I'm not talking about among the people, but we're talking about rifles and other things. So, and how do they build trust and bring diplomacy as they build the facilities? So I think this is a wonderful episode for learning about how to build trust, even in a high conflict situation, and also in leadership to bring your mission to fruition, no matter what's happening. So let's listen in. So welcome to episode 67 of the Lead with Trust podcast. And today we are so privileged to have Tracy Thomas with us. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you very much, Sue. It's really my privilege to be with you today. I'm so excited to have you here. I, I just think the work that you do is so remarkable and so important. And I'm excited to share it with everyone out there in Construction Nation. So, but I always start out with this crazy question. And for you, I'm going to give you the crazy question. So tell us a little bit about you. you. Like, what? where did you hang out with? Uh, what group in high school did you hang out with? You know, that really is a crazy question, and I have to think about it because my primary peer group 
really was my family. I had a lot of brothers and sisters and we were very close. But who I hung out with, really there were several different groups depending on what my activities were. My favorite was absolutely the marching band because of the friendships and the laughter. And to this moment, I, I still love music and I still love marching bands. And, and I also played basketball and that was its own group that, you, that I hung out with. But I think the one that defines most and contributes most to my career as it has gone is what we call the physics club. And that was an informal group We had a policy at school, if you had a perfect attendance, you could skip school and not take the quarterly exams. So it was always our goal to have a skip day. So we would go to a movie or maybe hang out at the mall, those kind of things. So we called ourselves the physics club. We mostly graduated at the top of our class. And that's really with that group that I discovered my technical aptitude. That's so cool. Now, I know that you made it from high school to college, and somehow you decided to go into the Foreign Service. And how did you get to where you really wanted to go into the Foreign Service? That was never a career arc that I planned, per se. I became a civil engineer, and it's very common to work in consulting. I was a consulting engineer, loved what I was doing. But something nagging inside maybe thought there was something more. And I knew I wanted to work overseas. I wanted to explore the world. So when 9-11 happened, that was my call to public service. And through an interesting set of circumstances, I discovered that the State Department hired construction engineers. And I decided to apply on October 11, 30 days after 9-11, went through a long hiring process. and and the rest is history. Don't regret a single day. That's so awesome. Yeah. You know, what you do just, um, I just, just fills my heart with uh, happiness that there's people like you and your team that are out there building facilities for the United States to build trust really with other countries. And so I know that you kind of have this uh, concept of trust and diplomacy. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Certainly. In in the context of project delivery, that's what we do at Overseas Buildings Operations. I made up this tagline that I use for some of our onboarding of new employees, which is that we deliver diplomacy. That's because we design, build, operate, and maintain the State Department's platform for the conduct of diplomacy. Our work and our vision at OBO is to represent American values and all that we do. And we execute that vision in the context of the foreign service. So when I reflect on all of that and the importance of what we're supporting in our own work and how how we do it also as diplomats, then I recognize that trust is the currency of diplomacy. Our work is done as guests in a host nation, and that's from the construction teams and my teams, as well as the diplomats in the embassy. Our discussions, our goals, and even our disagreements sometimes, they all have to be done in an environment of trust 
if any of the diplomacy that we're doing is going to be successful. Yeah, so uh, so obviously trust is you know like a critical element to your missions that you take on. So tell us a little bit about you know how do you achieve that? I mentioned that I think of our building program as delivering diplomacy. Similar to diplomacy itself, the success of our program depends on trust between our governments, maybe the local municipalities, trust on the project team, and trust with all of our stakeholders. We build space for the State Department as well as other tenant agencies. All of us need trust if we're going to get that done. In our capital construction program, we have implemented a formal structured partnering program as a risk mitigation strategy. And that partnering, of course, depends on trust and open communication. I believe it also depends on shared values, for example, respect, empathy, honesty. And as I mentioned, We do our work as representing American values, and that can be reflected in the openness of a design, how we value our environment, how we respect our local workforce. In many ways, other than just how we're building it, those American values can be manifested. That's pretty exciting. And one thing I just want to have a little caveat here, I remember in talking to you sometime, several times. I think it's so fascinating how many times the teams in the country hire local people and maybe even train them to build the buildings. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Yes, and that's one of the most rewarding parts of it to me. Very often our teams have American management, maybe some third country national tradesmen specialty teams and very often the vast majority are local workers. And in some developing countries, their knowledge and experience of U.S. safety standards, for example, the National Electric Code, they don't necessarily understand those. Fire protection and why we do the things we do. So falling under the idea of technology transfer and teaching those kind of skills in American construction practices, you've trained a local workforce and improved their knowledge base, not only for them and our project, but you very easily could lift an entire family or a village and improve their skill set for their entire career and their and their life ahead. So that's one of the most rewarding parts of it to me. I think that's so, so great. So great. Yeah. So uh, I know that uh, OBO staff and operations, you know, you have any stories about kind of how the OBO staff and operations work beyond kind of what we were just talking about? Uh, On our field team, trust looks like empowerment and collective responsibility. Of course, leaders aren't successful alone. They either share success together, or unfortunately, sometimes they share their failure together. It has to be done together. And an aspect that I really want to maybe explore a little bit more with you here has to do with contingency planning. And that is so important to mitigate risk and maximize success. 
But sometimes that looks like trust, but verify. So if something can go wrong and in construction in the international environment, uh, it's very often does go wrong. Having those contingency plans in place is really helpful. If you've already established trust with your team, both your internal team, which represents OBO, the State Department, and our contractor teams, if you've already established trust, then you can be more open by identifying those risks and what you're going to have to do to overcome them. Without the trust, of course, it's easier to go into the blame game and you start protecting your turf. The mutual goals can fall out of focus and the chance for success, of course, goes down. Successful contingency planning depends on trust, in my experience. And contingency plans can be, uh, are, are, are wonderful when they are actually created. I see that on a lot of projects. Like they talk about it, but they don't really create one. They say not to, they don't think that it's really going to happen. But uh, I agree wholeheartedly. It's, it's a great thing to have. And, you know, one of the things that I know about what you're doing, and I just think about how you're building the built environment for a country, and certainly it's, it's, you know, U.S. facilities, but it's part of their built environment. It's, it creates the world. It creates our society. And uh, it creates our relationship with another country's society. So what are you doing that really helps to create um, this? And what stories do you have uh, that you can share about your missions and wh what impact it's had on like, the society or the people, like where, what impact you've had with these projects? Well, two stories come to mind. And the first one has to do with our embassy in Haiti. After we finished it, since we finished it, there's been multiple earthquakes in that country, unfortunately. And more than once, our building is one of the few things that's standing. It becomes kind of a beacon of hope for the entire city when we see that, that our embassy is standing. So understanding that our mission is to provide safe, secure, functional, resilient facilities to support the diplomatic community. Our embassy there, I think, is really a good example of that. The second story has to do with, I was working in Pakistan on our new embassy in Islamabad. And our ambassador invited the Pakistan Minister of Energy to tour our new, new facilities, and they were scheduled to be lead silver. We showed him the design for water savings and energy reduction, and he especially enjoyed stopping in the billing automation system control room, which was really well done there. We ended up on a rooftop view of the whole compound, you could see this natural tree preserve area that was a break in the grade between residential spaces and office spaces. And he was really so impressed that that's what opened the door to a meaningful discussion between him and our ambassador around energy policy in the country. And our relationship with Pakistan is an extremely important one. It was one of the first foreign policy strategies that was written out of the previous administration, South Asia policy. So to see our project 
open the door for meaningful discussion around a very important topic uh, was an example to me of how our building and the built environment supported foreign policy. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Hope you're enjoying this show. Every time you and your team step foot onto a construction project, you bring your business culture with you. For any construction project to succeed, there must be a high-trust culture. It doesn't matter if you're in planning, design, construction, or startup phases. The more trust you bring and build, the better your results. I've created a free resource for you, the Trusted Leader Profile, so you can know exactly the level of trust you bring to your business and projects and what you can do to boost trust. You can grab that at sudico.com slash profile. That's S-U-D-Y-C-O dot com slash profile, P-R-O-F-I-L-E. And I hope that you'll remember that always high trust equals high performance, and it really depends on you. Now back to the show. So I'm I'm sure that you have had challenges, I can only imagine, but what are some of the biggest challenges you've had in trying to establish trust when you're starting a new mission? I mentioned team empowerment before, and that can be tricky because in construction everywhere, and the way it looks overseas is we start up a field office for a new project, it has new team members. And in our cases, very often they they come from multicultural backgrounds. So I find that the investment in relationships and specifically learning the skills and perspectives of each team member can support that empowerment. But if you task someone too early and you give them too much independence, then you might be looking like you set them up to fail. But of course, if you get involved too much in what they're doing when they're quite competent to do it, then it looks like you don't trust them. It looks like micromanagement. So I, I think that balance in empowerment and keeping the pulse very closely of your team development is, is extremely important. And rewarding to me, you know, international construction is an incredible challenge. You're bringing together a diverse team for specific goals. Usually it's in a high risk setting. But the rewards are equally incredible to include a lifetime of friends and colleagues that that you take away from those experiences. You've got to feel connected all over the world, too. I mean, I I just think that's got to be like a psychological or spiritual connection that you have a different feeling of the world than uh, those of us who sit only in our own little space all the time. I've said recently that world gets smaller every time I'm in it and traveling. Yeah, yeah. So I know we do have uh, emerging global threats uh, to your facilities and to your personnel. How do you manage those risks? Well, I'll just share a few stories on that. The, The thing with emerging global threats is when they're acute and and you have to respond with specific action, 
And there's usually a surprise element to them. Even if you can see them coming from a distance, they tend to bring that surprise. And one that, of course, no one really saw coming was the COVID-19 outbreak. I had received my visa for China in mid-January 2020, and I planned to visit our consulate in Wuhan. We had a project going on, very difficult relationships, very little trust. And that very week I got my visa, the virus broke, and of course I, I, I did not travel. And we had to shift our focus immediately when we didn't really have an environment of trust. How do we get our workforce, not the consulate workforce, the contractor workforce, who were from many different nationalities? It was all hands on deck. I was in communication with the State Department Operations Center to identify how they could get their visas. And in fact, they were on the first evacuation flight that left. Wuhan and landed in California. So in that case, you set aside your differences and, and, and do what's right for all the people that were over there. That, that's how we managed that one. Uh, another example that, that's it's in our minds, it's, it's more than a year later now since we evacuated from Kabul. That one, we already had a large operation and maintenance team there. We had other support facilities and construction teams, not, not large teams, but enough that were there. And, and we could actually see the need to evacuate. We could see that coming. There became a singular focus to consolidate everything, to lock down the equipment, leave everything as much as possible in a way that it was, was secure and that we could leave. Evacuations like those don't happen unless emergency action plans and contingency plans are already in place. And so they were. And so we followed them. The thing that impressed me the most on this one, again, it was all hands on deck to get everybody out. But how we helped to evacuate our Afghan workforce was a little trickier. And our general contractor, in many ways, took the lead on that. And I was so impressed. Several months later, I visited a project that we have ongoing in Nairobi, Kenya. Most of the American contractor staff from Kabul had been reassigned to Nairobi. But I was surprised and delighted to see that dozens of the skilled Afghan workers were also in Nairobi. And they were working with the general contractor and some of the refugee assistance programs here in the U.S. to move them on to other assignments. And I, I found that such an example of generosity to assist the Afghan refugees in that way, maintain their employment and assist them until they could move on with the next thing in their lives. That is very cool. Very cool. If we have time for one other example, more recent. We do. Evacuation, but I, I really want to focus more on their return. Considering emerging global threats, in that's happening right now in, in Ukraine, war in Europe, and our operation and maintenance team, they were preparing for that possibility. This is another risk we sort of saw coming. They put all systems in a low power mode. They left them in a state of readiness. We departed Kiev in a very orderly manner, 
but really with no idea when we, when we might return. We have since returned in sooner than I thought we would, honestly. But we got the team in and started up all the equipment, flushed all the water systems, had everything regulated within the first week. And even the corridors were sparkling when the ambassador made an unexpected visit later the next week, was surprised at how sparkling that the corridors were. And I couldn't have been prouder of our team. And part of what made that such a success was the trust that the team had in one another and the open communication between management and local staff. This is our operation and maintenance staff. The local staff takes really great pride in operating and maintaining our facilities, and they were ready and committed to return just as soon as is that what the duty required. And they did that, and they're still there operating and maintaining that facility. It's a brand new, it's not brand new, it's a new facility we finished less than 10 years ago. And the fact that we could leave it and come back in is a testament to their dedication and skills. And the trust they have in uh, in just every every uh, the systems, the processes, the people, the mission. Yeah, so cool. So you have a different perspective than probably anybody else does. What advice would you offer to a leader who really wanted to create more trust within their team? Well, in addition to the authentic relationships that I mentioned before, and then also discovering shared values. Those things are very important to me in building teamwork. But I wanted to highlight what leadership looks like from a perspective of trust. I've been thinking about that uh, recently around building confidence in new leaders. I lead the federal women's program here at OBO, and that's a question we've gotten recently is when you're a new leader or maybe a leader that doesn't look like others, a different gender or some other diverse population, how do you build confidence? And having confident leaders, of course, means you may have more effective followers. That's my experience. So in the context of our conversation today, I think that confidence can be expressed as trusting yourself, especially for a new leader. You're leading a new team. A confident leader needs to trust in themselves, in their subject matter expertise, their lessons learned, their network, and everything that they brought to that moment. And when they portray trust in themselves, I think the team can more easily recognize the trust that that leader is going to have in the team. So that will be my specific advice today for new leaders to build more trust is to develop confidence in themselves and in their team. I think that's very smart. In fact, on my my book on the hierarchy of trust, it starts with self. Because if you don't trust yourself, you're probably not going to get too many people to follow you. Exactly. Pretty smart. So how, thank you so much for being here. How can people find you? I am on LinkedIn. I'm not a very avid social media user, but I am there on LinkedIn. My email address is T-H-O-M-A-S-T-J and the number two at state.gov. I'm happy to be contacted at that address. 
Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Tracy, for being here. I really appreciate it. And we do have listeners, you know, in other parts of the world. So it'll be fun to uh, to see the feedback we get there. But mostly, uh, I think it's anywhere you're building facilities and you're building relationships to build those facilities. I, I think that uh, the work you do is just really kind of unparalleled. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for your interest in the work we do and your participation in the work we do around partnering on one of our projects coming up. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tracy. Okay, Construction Nation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust. Will you do me a favor? If you think this episode can help anyone on your team or business, please forward it to them. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And your honest review, hopefully five stars, is much appreciated. Every leader who learns how to build their business and projects on a foundation of trust is going to reap the rewards of greater productivity, attracting the best of the best, enjoying your business more, and doing things you thought were impossible. If you want to know where you are in your trusted leader journey, I have a free resource for you. Please just go to sudico.com slash profile, S-U-D-Y-C-O dot com slash profile. And you can grab it there and find out where you are on your trusted leader journey. And so that is a wrap for today. Can't wait until I get a chance to hang out with you again next week. And until then, have a great day.